Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Brent Ogilvy is that rare type of business person, a tech investor with a passion for sustainability. A former trade commissioner to New York and a, and a, a trustee of the Urban Eco Living Trust. We'll found, find out in a minute what that means. Um, he founded a biodiesel company, which he sold to Zed, and is the founding director of Pacific Channel, an investment company that backs tech startups to create positive impact by solving worthwhile problems. His latest venture is Vortex Systems, a company that uses the power of water spouts and industrial heat to generate electricity. Brent, welcome to this climate business. Oh, thanks, Vincent. Thank you very much for having me. That is my pleasure. So in the background, we have sirens, probably a dog barking. I think that you're out in the countryside somewhere. Uh, But the miracle of modern technology, we can talk to each other. And uh, so we'll give this a go. But Brent, I'm really fascinated about Vortex Systems. Can you tell us how on earth does a water spout create electricity and what even is a water spout? Yeah, it's a fascinating story. And I guess it goes back to a market need. So clearly the world needs um, electricity and electricity produced in a sustainable and renewable way. Um, and another challenge is producing that electricity in a way that meets the grid demand and supply um, as those change frequently. So, you know, if we want to have a low carbon future, that's a challenge that needs to be addressed. Um, and Vortex uh, takes waste heat um, from thermal uh, power generators, so for example, uh, geothermal um, or coal or overseas nuclear power. They all generate heat um, in different ways to, to, to create steam to turn turbines. And when that, team, when that steam is spent, so it gets below, say, 90 degrees C, it no longer has uh, the power to turn a turbine to generate electricity. So um, that becomes wasted heat. And usually at the cost of the plant, they have to cool it. Um, you see those big cooling towers to to, to, to put it to the waterways. Um, uh, and, and what Vortex has done, and um, it's actually a professor from the University of Auckland, Professor Richard Flay, who was involved um, in, in designing sales for America's Cup for the New Zealand teams over, over time. Mm-hmm. What he's done is, is, is built some sails essentially in a, in a, in a circle um, and takes um, that jet of warm air, um, that waste heat uh, from a power plant, um, and creates a vortex um, from the configuration of the sails at the base. So it's like a water spout that's in the form of a swirling warm mist of air. Um, and if he gets the temperature differential great enough from the top to the bottom, it creates an enormous amount of um, uh, wind uh, speed at the bottom, uh, and they're essentially putting a wind turbine on its side. Um, and that's generating electricity and looking to add about 5 to 7% extra electricity production from a thermal power plant, which is very significant. The heat that comes off this in any industrial process, I understand it doesn't have to be incredibly high. So you said below 
90 degrees. But uh, uh, from what I've read, <clears throat> you can use heat that's as low as 30 degrees. That's right. And that's one of the very competitive parts of this process, um, uh, that it can handle you know, poor quality low heat, if you will. So, so you know, also heat that's made from other um, industrial processes, as you say, down to 30 degrees. Um, and secondly, it can do so without much capital cost. So, you know, wind turbines, for example, you know, one of the biggest costs is getting the, the turbine 50 metres in the air, the, the, the significant um, uh, tower infrastructure that's required for that. Mm, mm. Uh, we don't require that. It's a, co- it's a concrete base um, and a wind turbine on its side. So actually very capital efficient and a great way of adding extra power um, without um, consuming extra carbon um, and, in fact, using a waste uh, energy source. So just describe the setup. So you've got this um, concrete base with a, a turbine mounted on it, and then a, if I describe it, you tell me if I'm describing it right. Around this turbine are these fins that stick up from the ground. They look a little like um, uh, I know the tails of an aeroplane, and they're configured in such a way that when the when the mist comes in when the water vapor comes in and the heat comes in they start it starts to generate this sort of swirling vortex motion am i describing it right so far very good description um and uh, that swirling vortex can go up quite some height um and you know one of the ways of generating uh the power is is to have it going sufficiently high that you get quite a differential between the heat at the base and the heat at the top and that, that, that accelerates that, 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 that swirl um, uh, and the beauty of course is it's controllable so you can turn off um, that source of, 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 of steam um, at the base and, and, and the vortex will turn off. That's amazing and how high does it need to be for the vortex to be driving that turbine? Um, the, the vortex will um, drive a turbine. You know, it depends on the size of the turbine. But it, you know, down to uh, we've got a laboratory scale down to ten meters, say. But um, there's obviously a trade-off uh, to make it commercial. Um, and we think to make it commercial, you, you know, you're going to need a um, a vortex that goes in the sky, you know, some hundreds of meters, um, and uh, that's um, uh, not been done uh, in in the environment before, so you know we'll need to think through carefully um, the rest resource applications uh, that are required mm-hmm. for that. One so of one of the benefits is that these power plants are are in zones you know with, that are already industrial zones, no fly zones, etc. So these water spouts, you've you know we we don't really get them in New Zealand, but you you do see them in uh, I don't know in, in warmer you know, sort of tropical countries, don't you, where they'll form around um, ocean that's really warm and then as, as, the, as the water vapour evaporates, it's, it still retains its uh, kind of, I don't know, vaporised nature. And then you can see these water spouts go up. They're almost like sort of mini tornadoes. Correct. Um, and the company's done a lot of modelling actually based off uh, those natural occurrences, um, both there and you know, in the desert, um, we we also get you know whirly gigs, if you will. Oh yeah. Um, uh, and 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 that's been part of the modelling to see how it would work in a controlled fashion. 
I so wish you'd called your company Wooly Gook. That's a much better name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they don't give me the job of naming companies. I have one sleep enhancing uh, product, um, Sleep Limited. Uh, so um, I, I, I've lost that role. <laughs> well, this is just such a, I mean, it's such a bizarre kind of story, isn't it, around Vortex Systems? But you, in your role as a investor, as a technology investor, you must see quite a variety, I suppose, of potential technologies. I mean, where do you start looking for those and what kind of judgment or you know, how do you go about making decisions about what you think is something worth pursuing? Yeah, so that's um, both challenging and obviously a lot of fun and very satisfying when you get it right. So um, we're fortunate um, that a couple of the technologies we've invested into have become successful and, you know, put a Range Rover or two in university car parks. And so we get another a number of uh, principal investigators across New Zealand coming to us with their innovations and uh, their technology transfer officers at the universities also um, come to us. It's a, obviously quite a small market in New Zealand. So we get about 200 um, inventions a year uh, that come to us um, over the transom to run through. Um, so it's one source. Uh, and the second source is we like to describe very specific, um, tough industry problems uh, and present those back to the research community. Um, and, and that's actually been a fabulous way um, of, of our starting company. So, for example, we took five problems in the dairy industry to the University of Auckland um, a number of years ago, and one of them was separating bull sperm um, by sex, um, female bearing and male bearing separately, um, at high throughput without damaging the sperm cells. So you still obviously needed to produce viable bobby calves um, um, and to, if you're beef breeding, say, and to produce um, heifer calves if you're a dairy farmer. Um, and it was a physics prof who put up a hand literally from the basement of the university's physics building who said that, you know, uh, they thought they could use photons, so packets of light to both look inside um, sperm cells. Um, as she said, the um, the female bearing sperm cells are brighter. They shine brighter under under the light. There's more mm. chromosome um, in the package. Um, and and then be able to separate them with another pulse of light um, into uh, different channels. And, and to do so at 10,000 sperm cells plus a second is quite remarkable without damaging them. So um, you know, taking and it's, it's it's not often obviously a physics prof stops and thinks about dairy, let alone mm -hmm. um, sexing bull sperm. So I think that's one of the great ways of of taking market problems to the universities and getting that sort of market pull um, to see where their technology can be applied to a real market problem. Mm. And then I guess the third way, just for the completeness, is 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 we um, you know I've been working for 16 years in this uh, system now, and we have a number of, of jockeys, if you will, that, that, that are proven either as inventors or as entrepreneurs and we work closely with them to see what they're producing next. The, the um, one that caught my eye uh, talking to you um, uh, a couple of weeks ago was um, you're working to uh, basically sort of COVID diagnosis at, in a really short time frame. Can you tell us a bit about that? 
Yeah, um, so it's a company, Orbis Diagnostics, and as you say, we're very excited by it. It's very topical. Um, it's not testing for uh, whether you've been infected um, with COVID-19. It's uh, detecting whether you've developed an effective immune response. Um, so you've either been uh, infected um, in the community or you have um, in the future received a vaccination and developed an effective immunity. Um, and we can, um, you know, which is a measure of say how many um, specific antibodies uh, are, are in your blood and therefore um, a predictor of how effective your immune response will be should you be exposed to the virus again. And that's important to know. So um, if you're traveling, obviously, then you can be sure you're not going to be uh, at risk to um, yourself or at risk to others. Um, and, and it's important in future vaccination rollouts because the you know, first uh, round of vaccines being developed, um, the initial trials have shown about 60% efficacy, which is to say, you know, say for every 10 people vaccinated, that six will develop effective immunity and, and four won't. And it's obviously important to know um, for those six that they're free to move around um, again. Mm-hmm. And, and for the other four, um, you, you don't want them going around thinking they're immune when they're not. So the other four you might give a, a, a booster shot to or, or there might be a different vaccine that they might be more amenable to. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and this technology for New Zealand, we think will be important too because um, you know, at the border, it would allow people that can demonstrate on arrival um, that they have effective immunity to go down a green lane, if you will, which uh, means they wouldn't have to go through the two-week quarantine. Mm, that's amazing. How far down the track are you with commercialising that science? Well, um, we've proven the science. Um, uh, so we have uh, proven to our satisfaction we can detect um, antibodies with enough precision um, and rapidly enough Um, and uh, the company has just um, done a partnering deal with uh, a very large company globally that supplies technology to airports and uh, it's going to be announcing that I think in the next week or two um, which will give it a clear clear route to market Um, uh, and you know, that company is sort of looking and saying, well, how can we help our airport customers, um, you know, re-enable travel? Um, so they're an ideal partner for Orbis. Mm, amazing. Um, uh, uh, how confident are you? I mean, I guess you always have to be confident if, in your game, but, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you give this of coming to fruition? Oh, I, I believe it will come to fruition. So the challenge is now... Um, there isn't the scientific or technical risk um, that we often invest into at the start. Um, the challenge now is finance risk and, and execution risk. So how effectively can they make these units? And the company is looking to mitigate the production risk. It's um, both um, got options for local manufacture from New Zealand and also manufacture from San Diego and Singapore. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, it's got a fairly clear path. Um, uh, it's always a challenge in any environment funding great technology um, uh, uh, from New Zealand, um, and, and this company you know, requires eight figures at the stage. Um, but um, uh, that finance risk aside, um, it's got a great path to market. 
Mm, amazing. I, I don't suppose there's any way for the New Zealand public to get access. You know, is there a way to, if, if people wanted to invest in a, a, you know, a pipeline like that, how would they do that? Is, would, do you ever list things on the exchange? Yeah. Um, so, after the first half of that question, um, Orbis is actually up um, on um, a platform called Syndex, S Y N D E X, which is um, a private electronic um, investment exchange in New Zealand. Um, hmm. So, it both provides opportunities for people to invest um, into companies um, and it provides opportunities for people to sell their existing shares in companies. Um, and these are private companies as opposed to the public companies that are on the New Zealand Stock Exchange. Syndex actually has a partnership with the NZX, um, uh, but it's for you know, investing and um, buying and selling um, interests in private companies. Mm. Interesting. Well, you know, one of the um, things that does seem to run through your career is this interest in clean tech and sustainability. And... Um, as I said at the beginning, I find that an unusual combination. You know, normally venture capital in New Zealand has been either associated with uh, just tech in general, but but safer bets, you know, growth companies and and software or retail or you know, zero, for instance. Um, tell us about your journey into sustainability and and what was the Urban Eco Living Trust all about? Yeah, so um, the two things are related, really. So if I talk maybe about my family background and the, the Whakapapa in this area, if you will. Um, so um, I, I come from a family of industrialists. So I look back, um, you know, four or five generations in New Zealand. Um, the early focus was on extractive industries, um, which, you know, obviously are not um, especially uh, sustainable. But to be fair, I think if you go back to those generations, they probably thought the resource was close to limitless. You know, the next valley had another stand of, of, of beautiful podocarp um, or another vein of gold. And my family were involved in, in forestry and gold mining um, on, on the west coast of New Zealand. Um, but over time, I, you know, I really saw that change. So, you know, my lifetime, my grandfather went from milling podocarp at the start of his career to, um, you know, he planted over a thousand different types of species of trees in New Zealand to see what would grow back the best and, and, and what would grow back the best where. Um, so you could see, you know, his journey towards sustainability um, quite quite early on. And then if I think about my father's career, he was involved in timber processing, um, pulp and paper, and, you know, a big part of the dinner discussions when I was young was the impact that would have on the environment. My elder sister was strongly on the conservation side. And, um, you know, to be fair, the plant uh, that he was involved with early was, you know, quite an emitter of, of, of waste in certain mm. ways. And mm. I guess over his career, I saw that move, you know, from you know, waste reduction to, um, using the waste um, for cogeneration, for example, and you know, I think um, that 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 sort of ethos sunk into him as well. And you know, the last plant he built was the waste was the resource, so he was taking you know recycled um, newsprint and turning it into into new newsprint. Mm. Um, Actually, that industry has, has cleaned up its act amazingly, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. plant produced potable water. 
um, that they were happy to serve the visiting journalists. So, um, yeah, which was was a, a significant improvement. And you know, and I guess for my generation, um, you're aware of those impacts, um, and and and. And I think there's been an opportunity to create value from knowledge, you know, as opposed to needing to exploit um, resources. Um, and you know, as you probably came, probably heard from that description. You know, I come from a, a long line of scientists, um, and so I always had an interest in the science um, field and, and and how we could apply science, um, you know, to create uh, value. And you know, I guess when we were starting out, it was um, to make the world a better place. Um, what was our byline, and, and now that's more neatly um, described as, as as impact investing. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about the Urban Eco Living Trust. What was that? Yeah, so that was my aforementioned um, older sister's um, not for profit, um, which she founded to. Um, uh, help um, uh, bring sort of education and, and real-world experience um, to young people across New Zealand. So um, it, it has a number of, of, of vans um, uh, that visit um, uh, schools, you know, uh, intermediate um, and secondary schools, um, and 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 you know shows um, demonstrates um, you know, how. Uh, people can can live um, in, a, in, a, in a lower impact way. Mm, um, great. And, yeah, I was proud to help her found that, and it's uh, it's really got out, and, and I think made a, a a positive contribution to the the knowledge of young people, and of course they take that home to their families. Yeah, great. Uh, another common theme across your career has been this investment in New Zealand IP, New Zealand science in particular. Uh, my sense is that we still don't make enough of the great science that's done in New Zealand. You know, we, we do have a long tradition of good blue sky research in New Zealand out of our universities. Is that changing? Yeah. Yes, I think it has um, slowly changed and that's been, I suppose, a key driver of, of my own career is, you know, as you say, if you look at it, we produce, um, you know, relative to our population, a great number of um, top um, uh, scientific articles and in, in, in the world's best peer-reviewed journals, um, and yet um, we produce again by population um, fewer uh, patents, which are obviously required you know, as a basis to commercialise most technologies. Mm. Mm. And then again, we produce um, much less uh, market uh, value. So if you look at the capitalisation of uh, companies in our share market as opposed to others that are IP-based. Um, uh, that's lower again per capita. So, you know, I think there is, um, it's improved. Um, there is a, a significant opportunity and that's actually one of the reasons we've formed our second fund um, is to, you know, help harness that um, uh, great uh, innovative um, research base uh, into uh, applied technology and into market value. And that fund is coming from private investors. This is not a government this is not a taxpayer fund or a, or a charitable fund. This is from people looking to invest uh, for financial return. Yes. So um, our first fund was our own money, um, and you know we generated three good um, you know, cash exits from that. So where we sold our companies um, uh, to uh, corporates um, that had better resources to take those technologies to market. 
Um, mm. and, and actually, happily, all three have um, remained in New Zealand and have significantly expanded the, um, uh, the employment base in New Zealand, so that's very satisfying. Mm. Um, our, our second fund, um, we um, are pleased to be announcing uh, it has got $44 million. Um, we're looking to raise a total of 50, so we're almost there. Um, and yeah, so again, we're investing um, significantly into our own fund. Um, we're 10% of that. Um, uh, we've also um, managed to attract um, a number of um, uh, you know, wealthy individuals in New Zealand um, and one or two from uh, Australia um, and the US who understand the opportunity um, and uh, are now two institutions uh, in New Zealand. Um, so we're very pleased, um, you know, to be um, that's um, at that scale already New Zealand's largest um, deep tech uh, venture fund, um, and we're pleased to be underway. We've made our first two investments from that fund. Mm, great. What What are the two investments? Are you able to say? Yes. Um, uh, so one is a company we've spun out of the University of Otago called Indusitrogen, um, and it is. Um, uh, um, a woman, um, Professor Alison Heather, who's world expert in uh, hormone detection um, and has been expert witness in a number of um, uh, trials, um, court, court cases where people that dope horses or dope athletes um, have been held to account. And what she developed is a technology that can detect any um, uh, steroid uh, that might be used to dope a horse or, or human athlete. Um, and the current technology, uh, one needs to know in advance, you know, what uh, the steroid is uh, in order to find it. So the cheats know this, and they produce another 100 new synthetic analogs every year, slight variations mm -hmm. that can mm -hmm. be detected. Um, whereas this looks at, at, at any androgenic um, effect. So very exciting technology in the Hong Kong Drug Club, for example, is looking forward to you know having this in their hand and being able to test all the horses on a race day before racing to make sure they've got a clean sheet. Um, and then so right, just to summarise that, so, so just to go back to that, so if I understand it, you're, what you're saying is rather than testing for the antigen, of which there is at least 100 novel antigens produced every year synthetically, you're testing for the uh, anomaly or the, the kind of the reaction, which would be an anomalous kind of reaction and could be detected if you had a baseline. That's right. So we're, we're um, uh, 100 plus androgens that might be produced synthetically a year. We're looking for the androgenic effect um, uh, and uh, we've tested that against all um, known androgens we've been able to get our hands on and, and shown it works effectively. So we're excited by that. Um, and then a future application, um, uh, more speculatively, we haven't proven this, could be in human health where um, hormone-mediated diseases, um, say breast cancer, um, often the first line of treatment um, is hormone suppression therapy, very heavy treatment, um, significant side effects. Um, were, if we could monitor um, a patient's um, innate uh, um, uh, or hormone levels, then we could titrate the dose accordingly and you'd have better patient adherence and better patient mm. outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Uh, you, you were about to tell us about the second investment, and I rudely interrupted. 
Uh, no, second investment you, you've heard of, which is Orbis, um, uh, which is the immunity test. Oh, yes. Um, yep. Which yeah. we're excited to have um, underway. And, you know, I didn't talk about the people, but um, great crew of people. Um, Professor David Williams is one of the two scientific founders. David um, developed the world's first um, uh, home-based uh, digital pregnancy test. Um, so the first yes/no um, pregnancy test called Clear Blue Digital, which became um, you know, the world's leading seller. How about um, that? So very experienced in developing diagnostics. Yeah, another one of these great New Zealand inventors that people don't hear much about. Yeah. He also invented the world's first home-based um, cardiac uh, marker test. That's incredible. Um, so, and, and over 50 patents to his name uh, would be a great guy for you to talk to. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, right at the beginning of the conversation, you said that perhaps one of the best ways to find ideas is to articulate the problem. And there's no shortage of problems, right? And they, particularly as we head in towards a warming climate and this tragic loss of biodiversity. Um, yeah. You know, what kind of problems are you, particularly in that sustainability space, what are the problems that you can see that desperately need solving? Yeah, so um, myriad, as you say, and um, you know, one of the wonders of um, science is that it, it, it's a tool that can be used to address some of these problems. Um, one, one um, you know, we look at um, uh, is uh, waste effluent. Um, so, you know, even um, industry best um, effluent. Uh, treatment plants uh, are creating vast quantities of sludge. Um, you know, sludge is um, something which has to be, you know, put um, into um, yeah, landfill um, at significant cost, and it, it, it's it, the effects can be mitigated, but it's not a great thing to be doing. Um, so we're interested in technology that can, you know, improve um, effluent treatment systems. Um, uh, we've um, made our first investment in that area, a company called T-Rex uh, Innovation, which has come out of um, Scion, um, the government's um, uh, Crown Research Institute that's primarily focused on forest and forestry-related technologies. Um, and, and so, you know, that's one area where um, we, we focus. Um, uh, I think, by the way, just to... Um Interrupt you there. I, I aren't Scion the ones developing the Bill Gates toilet? They're in the in the hunt to win Bill Gates's um, competition for the uh, you know sort of remote toilet um, that could be plonked down anywhere without any water or power. Okay, great. I didn't know that. that that's um, uh, that's great to hear. Um, uh, and you know, again, um, another great institute in New Zealand that's uh, producing innovation. Mm. Um, you know, we were also proud to have spun the first company out of Lincoln um, into a private company, a company now called Certus Bio, which um, is looking at waste streams from dairy plants. Um, and, you, you know, when the dairy plant has an operating problem, it might uh, unfortunately emit, say, lactose in the waste stream. Um, that uh, That's a problem because it would otherwise, um, if not uh, caught, would go into the waterways and the environment. And it's a problem for the producer too because they're giving up value. Um, both lactose itself is a, is a value, and it's also, you know, indicated that um, you know the, the, they're, they're wasting other product. Um, and so that's um, you know, a very defined um, uh, problem. But it's um, 
you know, I think um, a significant market, and you know, uh, Certus Buy has got an exciting opportunity in front of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the cost of the assistant um, is uh, returned within the first year. Um, uh, so for dairy processing plants, um, uh, you know, the technology they they can adapt both to save them money, um, create more value from from the existing dairy input, and and also reduce the environmental impact of the plant. And we love those sort of outcomes where there's both a, you know, commercial driver on the industry to adapt it and there's also an environmental benefit. I might put a couple of problems to you just to see if you've got some idea about how they could be solved. I'm going to put you on the spot, of course, because we haven't, um, I haven't warned you about this. But I'm thinking, for instance, yeah, the, you know, the, the, just remember that I'm, I'm the looks, I'm the looks, not the brains, right? I can't <laughs> find the brains, but let, let, let's, let's try. Let's give it a go. Look, I, I think um, one of our big pressing problems is this out of control possum population and, and pests in general, and the destruction of our native. Um, fauna um, and flora is uh, out of control, and particularly in Northland. Um, yeah. What biological solutions might exist in, the, in terms of, um, you know, biological control of, of pests? Is that something that you've looked at, or maybe there's an alternative that we hadn't thought about? Because hunting, trapping, and 1080 dropping seems to be, you know, ineffective. Yeah, I mean, they're... Uh, better than nothing, but they they are sort of last generation solutions, and I completely agree um, that um, you know with the tools available, um, the you know biotechnology tools available, we ought to be developing um, solutions in that area. And it is um, you've defined it quite nicely there. One of the problems we take to the universities, um, we don't um, currently have a solution for you, but. Um, I, I, um, I look forward to perhaps reporting back to you um, with one in the future. Um, oh, that's it's, ideal. Um, it's also one I joke when I present it to people in the university. They say, "Well, you know, we should, you know, both be able to fund you to do this research, and if it's successful, uh, I should think that um, a damehood or a knighthood for you should be straightforward." <laughs> that's a nice way to put it uh, okay here's another challenge we uh, as this seems to be an intractable challenge is uh, reducing methane output from our egg sector both from um, yeah. uh, in terms of you know kind of uh, well there's also the nitrogen runoff factor but just let's deal with methane which um, s- appears to be an intractable problem y- yes um I, 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 I hope it's not intractable, but it certainly is a significant problem, um, and uh, that is one uh, again um, that, that, that is on our sort of hit list, if you will. Um, yeah, and there's some interesting um, work being done um, on uh, bacteria um, in the gut that produce um, uh, that methane, um, and and whether the populations of bacteria in the guts of um, dairy cows could be modified. Um, to reduce methane, and, and there's some early promise um, in that regard. Um, I'm sure you know there's also um, work underway um, in different types of feed or feed supplements um, that could also, you know, reduce um, the, you know, the animals' methane emissions. Um, uh, and uh, you know, I, I, I'd like to think, um, and this is an area where New Zealand is leading the world in terms of its mm. um, basic um, R and D. So. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd like to think think those are um, 
uh, potential solutions that, that all come to market in the next several years. I'm going to throw one last one to you, and it might be a nice way for us to round out the conversation. But go back to your forestry roots and think about your dad and your your, your granddad. You know, one of the um, problems we face um, in forestry is this reliance on Pinus radiata, which is obviously a terrific wood to grow, um, perfect for New Zealand conditions. But meanwhile, our native forests languish for want of all sorts of reasons, but at least one of them is there's, it's hard to see a commercial return in planting um, native hardwoods. Uh, has that ever crossed your path as a problem to deal with? And I'm interested to know what your grandfather discovered when he planted those, I don't know, I think you said a thousand varieties of different natives. Yeah, um, different trees, and uh, unfortunately, most weren't natives. And and the point there uh, at the time was around, you know, what would grow best um, in in what environments. And in a way, I think that's what we led, unfortunately, to a lot of the pines radiata, um, gum, etc., planting in New Zealand. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, we we have looked at that, and I think. Um, you know, there's a couple of breeding operations in New Zealand that um, are looking to improve, um, you know, through through natural selection, but accelerated um, the productivity uh, in terms of you know, speed uh, to maturation of of the native trees. So I think there's um, hope in that regard, and there's um, obviously modern technologies, um, you know, such as artificial intelligence, machine learning, that could be applied to accelerate. Um, that breeding, mm. and that's been done successfully overseas for, you know, say tobacco or other plants um, of, um, uh, you know, uh, commercial production interest. But it could, I think, be applied um, in New Zealand uh, for natives, and we're involved of a discussion with one group around around the potential for that. Mm, interesting. Um, could, could you foresee a time? Is just, oh, sorry, you, no, do carry on. And I think the other is just going to say is 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 a combination of um, you know uh, production um, value of uh, parts of the forest and 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 carbon sequestration value of other parts of that forest um, uh, and uh, you know there's um, uh, multiple efforts underway to uh, try to ensure that uh, natives are used uh, for carbon farming wherever possible. Mm. Yeah, that's a. That seems to be quite an important legislative legislative action. But I understand that that requires also um, changing the. Uh, you know what complies under international treaties regarding carbon um, carbon um, credits. Yes, but in the end, it's a, it's a domestic market, so it's within the power of the legislator. And and it's also within the power of certain you know philanthropists in New Zealand too. Um, so Stephen Tindall's doing an amazing job of supporting the upfront cost of planting natives as opposed to plants radiata. Mm-hmm. When you think about your career and you think perhaps about you know what 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 is it that you would like to aim towards, um, and particularly I suppose in the context of sustainability and this this urgent problem around climate change, is there something uh, I don't know that you would hope for? Uh, that you could contribute to in the next few years, and and have have already contributed to. Yeah, so the, the I might start with the have. So so you know, I think one of the amazing things that comes from in, in gender technology being able to 
uh, allow farmers to choose um, the sex of their breeding program outcomes. So, um, you, you know, the whole bobby calf um, dilemma um, should be avoided. Um, so it's just inefficient um, use of resources to have, you know, prime um, uh, dairy cows producing uh, males that have got no or little meat value and, it, and it's a terrible outcome obviously for the bobby calf in the end so um, you know avoiding the um, bobby calves is, is a great thing um, and uh, and then also just the actual actual productivity of the herd is increased too because you can choose the top portion of your dairy cows to breed from knowing that you, you only need um, a portion of your herd to breed from because you're going to produce um, have as females um, every time um, and and so um, that means that you have a more efficient herd and it means you can produce more milk from from a given herd and that reduces the you know the environmental impact um, from 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 dairy farming and you know we've modeled out um, you know, that might mean an extra billion milk serves in, in somewhere like India um, where unfortunately the male uh, cow is kept alive uh, for for religious reasons mm. um, uh, so that's that's just a real meaningful impact both mm. on the environment mm. and um, our nutrition, um, which is um, you know it's very satisfying. Um, the um, you know looking forward, um, we, we're um, uh, we're driven um, uh, must be said primarily by generating financial returns um, because. You know, it's our belief that uh, great technology is one thing, but you actually have to get that technology to the marketplace to generate impact, um, both in terms of value for, for, for people um, and impact on, on health and the environment, but nutrition and so forth. So um, the, the real um, uh, challenge is an execution one. Um, you know, it's great to have good technologies, but the, the real trick is, is, is executing on the development and getting to market those, those good technologies. Um, so... Yeah, for me, um, I, I, I guess there's a couple of objectives. I'd, I'd love to be involved in a technology that had a material impact on the environment. Um, and, you know, carbon is, is one, methane is another. Um, uh, uh, waterway quality, um, personally, for me, is a big one. Um, and and then, um, you know, finally, I'd, I'd also love to be involved in a, in a medical development um, that had, you know, a significant impact in terms of saving lives. Well, those are all great things to be aspiring to. And I think already you've demonstrated um, a really unique and helpful contribution. Um, I just love what you're doing with taking New Zealand science. You know, one of, one of the things I, I loved doing as a journalist was um, finding these scientists who were beavering away doing, you know, amazing work um, and, and so often unacknowledged and, and unrecognised for their work. Yes, um, and you know, let's say we've become a groupie for scientists. <laughs> That's correct, uh, Brent. Uh, Jesus, lovely talking to you, and uh, thank you for joining me from uh, your break, um, which was very generous. And um, if people want to get hold of you, if they have ideas that they're busting to share with you, is there a, a process for knocking on your door? Yes, we'd love to hear from you with a website, uh, Pacific channel.com uh, and um, you can, you're can welcome to email me. Um, the firm is info at pacificchannel.com. Uh, we'd be very pleased to hear from people. Um, you know, the more interesting ideas we, uh, we hear about, the better. Oh, that's great. It's very generous. Uh, Brent Ogilvy, thanks for your time and all the best for uh, round, uh, the second fund and hit, hitting that 50 mil. 
Thanks, Vincent. Great to talk with you. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the programme. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer, that's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week, and no hurrah.